0: In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. God willing, today we're going to speak about riches and righteousness. Um, in Proverbs eleven four, it says, Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. Um, a lot of times if we ask ourselves, uh, what is our primary goal in life? Um, maybe we, we struggle to answer that question, or we want to say that our answer is, that our pursuit of God and our salvation is the primary goal. Um, but really, in order to tell what is our primary goal, we just look at how we spend our time because um, answers can be deceptive, but the actual choices and decisions that we make are clear. Uh, when, I, when I look at how much time I spend on the various different things in my life, that'll tell me what my priorities are. Um, it's, not, it's not a question that um, needs a verbal answer, but it just needs an observation to look at how we spend our time, it'll tell us. So maybe we, we want to say that our salvation is the number one, but if we look at how we spend our time, we'll find that maybe work is number one, maybe certain relationships are number one, maybe other things, other goals are number one, um, but maybe spirituality, prayer, um, doing service for God and so on is, is not. Um, so um, the verse here is very straightforward. It says, riches will not help us on the day of judgment or the day of our death. Because we know that there is an end. And on the day of that, and the, when, that, when that day comes, whatever it is that we have accomplished or amassed or collected um, in our life, it says it will not profit in that day. On the day of judgment, we will not have any possessions with us. We will not have any of the things that maybe brought us comfort in our life with us on that day. Um, but what is it that delivers from death? It's righteousness, right? It's, 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 it's the works that we have done that have eternal value that, that will continue even in the afterlife, meaning the works of virtue, the fruit of the spirit, how we have served one another, um, how we have uh, invested in our relationship with God. These are the things that will that will maintain. Those are the things that will stay. They're things that will endure, um, but all the other things of the earth will, will vanish away. It reminds me of when we studied that book, Orthodox Afterlife, um, the story of the man who, after he died, Um, He said how in that moment nothing of what he cared about in the world had any value to him anymore. The moment he realized that he had died, everything that he cared about in the world, everything that he thought about, all his priorities, nothing of that made any difference at all. And the wise man is the one who, um, even though we are still in the flesh on the earth, the wise man is the one who can um, think ahead and plan ahead. Um, And actually, you know, one of the things that people who are very wealthy tend to be good at is planning. They tend to plan. They tend to um, plan for how much money I need to save for big uh, th- big, big expenses that I will have in my future, like my c- kids' college education or retirement. Um, and, and we plan. we plan, we plan, we plan. So someone who is um, very good at planning, right should also be able to plan for this day of judgment, right and, 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 and see how is what I need to do in order to plan for this day. Um, so as a disclaimer, um, as we discuss this topic, um, being wealthy is not a sin. So lest we think that when we talk bad about money, um, we're not talking about the money itself. We're talking about the attachment to money, right? Being wealthy is not a sin. God granted people to be very wealthy, right? Um, and they were righteous in the eyes of God. Job, for instance, who was a very, very wealthy man, um, and that was not counted against him in any way. He was, he was wealthy. Spending money also is not a sin. Having nice things is not a sin. You know, some people feel guilty that somehow, like, if I buy an expensive car that was is within my means, um, that somehow that is sinful and wrong. No, it's not. It's not. Oh, actually, God gave you the money, right? God gave it to you, right? Doesn't mean that you should spend it all on yourself, right? Because God actually said, of the money that you receive, a part, a part of it is mine, right? A part of it is, 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 is God's, right? But for the rest of the money that is yours, use it as you see fit. It doesn't mean you should squander it. It doesn't mean that you should use it to pursue sinful things. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't be careful with it. But God gave it to you, right? God gave it to you. What is the sin? Loving money. Loving money is the sin. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows, right? What is it that brings the sorrow? It's the love of money. Because the person who loves money pursues it and and desires it and, and maybe sacrifices other things that are far more important in order to attain it, obsessed with it, right, and cannot live without it and is not content with whatever state that they are in but are always seeking to increase themselves. And this is why they have sorrow. The stress of losing, right, what is that I have attained? You know, if anyone has ever bought a new car, and then at the beginning, when you have the new car, you're just very stressed that it's going to get scratched. You're, scra- you're, you're one of those people who goes and parks in a parking spot way over here it's because you don't want to park next to any cars. And there's a kind of stress associated with having nice things, right? Because you're worried that you might lose it or might get damaged or something will happen to it. Or, you know, if, if you've ever had a situation where any of your kids damage something that is of high value in your home, right? And then what do you do? You yell at them. You know, and maybe we yell at them because we have such an attachment to that thing um, that we are, we, are extra, we, are <laughs> we are extra hurt right? if, that, if that thing happens to get damaged. So again, the disclaimer is, being wealthy is not a sin, spending money is not a sin, but loving money and being attached to money um, is a sin. Um, why do we care about earthly riches? Right? We care about it because we get the things that we want. We can live in comfort. It's a source of security. It could also be a social symbol, right? Like if I have a lot of money, then people see me as a successful person. Um, Maybe the kind of peer group that I can hang out with is of a higher level, a higher status, and I I gain joy by being part of that group. I feel like accomplished, like an accomplished person. Um, And again, God can grant us fiscal success, financial success, okay? But it says in 1 Timothy 6 9, those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. This is based on what? It's not those who have money. It doesn't say those who have money f- fall into foolish and harmful lusts, right? It says those who desire, right? So here all, it's all about the desire. If my goal and my desire is wealth, that is when we fall into the problem. Because a person might have many good things and is thankful to God for it and uses it wisely, and they have no attachment to it. Like, they weren't expecting it, they didn't do, like, like yes, maybe they worked hard to attain it, but their heart is not all, you know, attached to this wealth, okay? But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, right? But if we are really honest with ourselves, who of us can say we do not desire to be rich, right? Everyone desires to be rich, right? Question is, what do we mean by the word desire, right? What does it mean to desire? Like if you gave me two options as, would you rather be poor or rather be rich? I think almost everyone would say you'd rather be rich. That's a desiring to be rich. But the question is, is what am I willing to do to be rich? How is the desire to be rich affecting my life, right? What choices am I making because I desire to be rich? And so we can ask this question is, what is our treasure? Um, the Lord Jesus Christ gave this parable And he said, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Right? What is this pearl representing? The pearl represents the kingdom of heaven. Right? It is the thing of the greatest value. And so this man, because he is wise and rational, he said to himself, this pearl is worth more than all that I have. So it is a wise investment for me to sell all that I have in order to buy the pearl. And if you're thinking in terms of financial, right? Like, yes, it makes sense. Like, like if, if you're gonna earn a billion dollars by spending $100,000, then of course, who wouldn't do that, right? If I had $100,000 and I could spend it, right? And, and in return, I would get a billion dollars. I think everyone would do that, right? Because it's, it's, a, it's, it's evaluating and measuring things rightly right? It, so it is a logical, rational decision that I'm making. The thing that I'm obtaining is of more value, and actually every time we buy anything, we go through that process. The only reason we spend money is because we believe that in that moment, the thing we are purchasing with the money is more valuable than the money. Otherwise, we wouldn't do it. We wouldn't, we wouldn't purchase it. In that moment, anytime we spend money, we believe that the thing we're obtaining is more valuable than the, th- than the money that we are paying, Okay. And this is what this example is. He's saying if there is a pearl of great price, it is so invaluable, you know, so priceless, then this man made a wise choice by selling all that he had. So when we speak about the attachment to money, right, we say, Okay, well, what is of the, the greatest value? Right? The greatest value is our eternal life. That is of the greatest value because that lasts forever. Right? Like, you know, imagine if somebody comes and says, You need to be poor for a hundred years but then for the next million years you get to be extremely wealthy what do you think is that a good deal or is it a bad deal says okay what do you need to do to get this well you need to give up what you have now for a hundred years you need to give up what you have and live in poverty okay but after that you will have unbelievable riches beyond what you can ever imagine right or alternatively you can keep the wealth that you have now and you'll have it for a hundred years but then for the next million years you will be poor right? Again, if you look at it in a rational way, it seems pretty clear. I would think most people would rightly decide that being wealthy for a million years is better than being wealthy for a hundred years. And they would be willing to sacrifice a hundred years of comfort in order to gain a million years of comfort, okay? If you look at it just purely from a logical, rational perspective, that's what would be the wise choice to make, right? So here, Christ is spiritualizing that concept and he's saying if you truly believe in eternal life and if you truly believe that life after death and the reward that god gives us based on our faith based on our actions based on our deeds okay is is is, is of so, such value then what are you willing to sacrifice to obtain it right what are you willing to sacrifice where is your treasure so again being wealthy is not the problem, right? It's the addiction to the wealth. Um, in Matthew six twenty one, it says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So where is my heart? My heart is attached to my treasure. If my treasure is eternal life, then my heart will be attached to that. And I will find joy in doing the things that lead to eternal life. I'll find joy in prayer. I'll find joy in service. I'll find joy in coming to church. I'll find joy in the sacraments. I'll find joy in carrying the cross even right? Because my treasure is eternal life. But if my treasure is the physical treasure of the world, the materialistic treasure that we have here in the world, and my heart is attached to that, then I will find that the things that bring me more wealth are the things that make me happy, right? And maybe the things that um, divert my attention or my time away from that goal of being wealthy, right? Those are the things that are actually, I see them as an obstacle, I see them as something that is preventing me, right, from reaching my goal. So we can ask, what do we sacrifice for the pursuit of money? Like I said at the beginning, if I ask everyone, what is your number one in your life, everyone will say, oh, God is my number one. You know, like that's the, that's the thing that everybody wants to say, right? But, but if you really wanna know what is your number one, you look at the decisions that you make. You look at the way you spend your time. That will tell you what is your number one. So we can ask ourselves, what do we sacrifice for money? He who trusts in riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like foliage. If you think about how much our lives revolve around the idea of making money. And again, making money is not wrong. Making money is essential to live, okay? But if you look at how much of our life revolves around making money, it starts when we're like three years old, you know, when we start doing pre-K. And what is the purpose of pre-K? Well, to start learning, okay? And what is the big reason that we want to learn? Obviously, education is important in and of itself. But one of the big reasons that we want education is so that we can have a good career. And why do we want a good career? Well, because we want a career that gives us a lot of money, because we want to be comfortable in our life. And that process starts when we are very young, very young, and we find that we are sacrificing eight hours, seven, eight hours a day of our life, starting from when we are young children, in order to go to school, doing homework, doing tests, being stressed out about it, learning, 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 right? Until you graduate from high school, but you're not done yet, now you have to go do more education, and after four years of college, or you're not done yet, you're gonna do another four, or six, however many years of education, right? And all the while, you're doing it while it might not be enjoyable, it might not be fun, it might be difficult, it stresses you out, you spend a lot of time both in the class and out of the class studying, right? But you do all of this because you know that this is necessary in order to have a career. Once you start working, you endure all kinds of challenges. You deal with people you don't like, you know, you, 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 you have to wake up early. You have to stay late at work. You ha- you, you, there's, there's so many things you do. And if you ask people, like, do you really enjoy this work so much? It's like, not really. But I need the job. I need to make money, right? Which is true. So if you, if you look at how our lives revolve around the idea of making money, we spend an inordinate you know, amount of time for the pursuit of money. Starting from education, through work, and everything that we do. Planning-wise, what are we planning for? Well, we're planning for retirement. We have to have enough money for when we retire. We have to have enough money for when our kids go to, s- to college, right? We're planning, planning, planning. Everything that we do revolves around money, okay? I don't want to say everything, everything, but a lot. A big percentage, right, of what we do revolves around money, okay? So then we can say, what do we sacrifice for our spiritual life? In in comparison, okay, Um, we said we spend so many hours at work and at school, okay, and when we come home, what do we want? We want to relax, right? We want to rest. The last thing I want to hear when I come home after 10 hours of work is, well, let's pray and read the Bible. Like, maybe that's not what I want to do, right? Like, I'm willing to sacrifice my rest. I'm willing to sacrifice my time. I am willing to sacrifice my energy and effort. Why? To make money, okay? But the moment that now I'm coming home, it's not about making money anymore, right? Now we're talking about, okay, I'm gonna work toward my eternal life. At this moment, I'm tired. At this moment, I'm lazy. At this moment, I can't give any more of myself. I've given too much already, and the, the, the simplest and easiest thing for us to sacrifice in our day are the spiritual activities, because the spiritual activities are not tied to any immediate reward. You know, like if you don't go to work, you get fired and you lose your income. If you don't go to church, nothing happens. Right? Like there's no immediate there's no immediate re- result, right? You don't lose anything immediately, right? You lose something in the long run, right? You you lose something um in the long term, but you don't lose something immediately, okay? Um think also of maybe people um if if they are rebuked um, or offended in the church um, by something or someone? How easy, easy is it for people to say, you know what, I'm I'm leaving. Like, I'm not coming here again. Okay, Well, maybe you're rebuked and offended at work all the time, right? But you don't leave because, again, you need the income, right? Whereas in the church, it's like, oh, you offended me. I'm, I'm never coming here again. It's like, well, why? Like, why are you giving it up so easily, right? Are you coming here because um, you just you know you want everyone to treat you well or is there something greater is there a greater goal the goal being of course your salvation right how are we how are we um, uh, evaluating and measuring the value of the spiritual activities that we do the value of the prayer that we do the value of the fasting we do the value of the sacraments the value of the time that we spend in the church you know throughout our life the, the value of the service that i offer right Maybe we are, we, 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 are, we, are, we are lazy. Maybe, maybe you know, we say, I don't really want to be involved in any kind of service in the church because I don't want to put any more time. You know I, I spend all my time at work already, and the rest of the time I, I don't have. You know, I don't have, or I spend all my time you know, with my family, um, and I don't have anything else. So again, if you compare that to um, the, the example of the parable that Christ gave about the pearl of great price, what is it that is of the highest value And what is it that I should sacrifice? Well, it's the other things, not the things of the highest value that I am sacrificing. I sacrifice the other things in order to obtain that, which is of the highest value. So meaning that if a person has a job that requires them to work 80 hours a week, right? And that prevents them from doing anything else of value, um, then they have to ask themselves, is this job worth it? Yeah, maybe it's bringing me a very, very nice salary, right? But is it worth it? What am I giving up? right? What am I sacrificing in order to have the benefits, right, of this job? James 4.13 it says, come now you who say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Meaning if our whole life is oriented around the worldly activities, the making of the money and all that, then then here like like St. James is saying you do not even know what will happen to you tomorrow. Do you even have the opportunity to repent? Do you even have the opportunity to, like, prepare yourself to stand before God? And all these things that you are spending your life on, you're not taking it with you. It is it is destroyed. It's going to be it's gonna be completely destroyed, right? And it will have no value in heaven. It's like, you know, if, uh, I don't know, when I was a kid and you go to an arcade, okay, they give you tokens. It's, there's no tokens anymore, right? Now they put it on, like, a little plastic card, Right? So in my day, there was no plastic cards, right? You would go to the arcade, you would spend money, and you would buy these little tokens, okay? And these tokens were worthless. The only thing that they did was you could use them to play the games in the arcade. So you pay $20, you get $20 worth of tokens, you play the games, right? And when you leave the arcade, if you didn't spend all the tokens, you have a bunch of worthless tokens that don't work for anything. No one will accept them, right? So this is like what money is. Money is a currency that only works here. It is worthless in the next life. It doesn't matter how much of it you have. It's like the tokens, right? You have all these tokens that you spend all your money to obtain, right? And if that is what you value, you better spend it now (laughs) because it will have no value after you're out, right, of this place. And so this is what all of the scripture really is trying to have us to understand and to realize. The life of materialism is very destructive. Right? It, it causes us to be all s- focused on this life and forgetting completely the next life. So clearly, there is a discrepancy between the amount that we sacrifice for the worldly things, for, for, for wealth, and the amount that we sacrifice for the spiritual things. And if we're honest with ourselves, we have to admit that this is true. We have to admit, all of us, and myself, right? we have to admit that this is true. And this is the first step of trying to fix this problem. right? Because if we fool ourselves into believing that the spiritual life is the most important thing for us, this is not true. We, we have to admit to ourselves this is not true. Maybe we want it to be true. Maybe this is our goal and our target and where we want, and we know that, that it's right, yes. But if we look at ourselves and we say, is this how we are really living? No way, we are not living like this. right? And this is not to mean that the only way to live is to be a monk or a nun. No, like those people are literally, you know, giving away everything that they have in order to commit their life to God alone. This is not everyone's calling, right, for sure. This is not everyone's calling. And I'm not trying to say that that's the only recourse that we have if we want to live in the right way. But there is a balance, right, that's to be had. Um, Job, he said, If I have made gold my hope, or said to find gold, you are my confidence. If I have rejoiced because my wealth was great and because my hand had gained much, this also would be an iniquity deserving of judgment for I would have denied God who is above. Now remember, Job was an extremely wealthy man. He was very wealthy. But when everything was taken from him, you saw that he had no attachment to it. He said, you know, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord, right? What he didn't do is he didn't curse God he didn't. He didn't. He, he didn't express that he was entitled. He didn't tell God, "I deserve all these things." Why did you take them away? Even though he had them, even though he benefited from them, even though they were a source of comfort for him, but you see that at no point was he attached to these riches. And the only way you could tell whether he was attached or not is when it was gone. And this is why, even when God and 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 uh, Satan. We're having a conversation about him at the beginning of this book, right? God is the one who was boasting of Job to the devil. As he said, look at my servant Job. There is no one like him on the earth. And then the devil's response was what? What did he say? Because you have, he has everything, right? You have protected him. He has everything. Take away from him everything that he has and he will curse you, Right? And so God, of course, knowing the heart of Job, knowing that wasn't going to happen, he said, okay, let's see. And he allowed the devil to take everything away. God knew, the devil didn't even know. The devil couldn't even tell whether Job was really had his heart attached to God more than anything else. Who of us, if we were in the position of Job, could have done and endured what he did with joy, with contentment, with hope, with all the things right that he did? So maybe some of the trials that we experience where God denies us the things that we want reveal, you know, how content am I with what God allows versus how stubborn am I, how rebellious am I, how attached am I to the things that I want, right? And, of course, materialism, a big part of materialism, is the attachment to that which my heart desires that is contrary to God's will, right? Contrary to God's will. Because the moment that God takes it, it means that it's not his will for me. Right? He takes it away because it is not his will. And if my attachment is to that thing, then maybe I will curse God. Maybe I will curse him in the sense of my attitude toward him. My 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 uh my feeling of self-pity. Right? I feel I feel that I deserve pity, that I was entitled to these things, and you took it away from me. And I, you know, like, like my attitude toward him changes, right? And this is what we r- what is revealed here with Job is that his his attitude did not. Yes. He had a human reaction in terms of his sorrow and mourning about what he experienced. It's not like he was you know it's it's not like he was an invincible person that didn't feel the pain of it. He felt the pain, he felt the sadness, he felt all of that. But at no point did he turn to God and blame him for it, right? So again, the way we tell if we are attached or not. Yes, when we lose something of value to us, we feel sadness of, as it as it's, uh, for its loss. But do we then uh, d- do we then realize that the thing that I still have, which is God, is the greater thing, and I'm content with that? Or do I see that the thing that I've lost is the greater thing, and I'm just m- wallowing in despair for years and years because the thing that I lost, the thing that I lost, right? So that's the difference here. Um, King Solomon in the Proverbs, he said, Two things I request of you. "'Deprive me not before I die. "'Remove falsehood and lies far from me. "'Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food allotted to me, lest I be full and deny you, and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. This is the balance. What is King Solomon asking? He's saying, I don't want to be poor, because if I'm poor, I'll be tempted to steal. Right? And he doesn't want the temptation. But also, I don't want to be rich, because if I am rich, then what? Lest I be full and deny you, and say, Who is the Lord? Because one of the temptations of those who are wealthy is they deny God because they are not in need of anything, right? We tend to turn to God when we are in need. We turn to him to save us, right? So, of course, this means spiritual salvation primarily, right? But we, as kind of limited and, and stubborn um, humans, right, we tend to forget that God's presence and God's love and God's desire and, 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 and um desire for us and the place that he should have in our lives and so when he sends adversity or allows adversity to come it is a reminder that we are insufficient in of ourselves and that we need to turn to him for salvation and to save us from a problem and to offer us a solution and to trust in him and whatnot whereas people who are very wealthy of course not universally i mean wealth for instance can't make a sick person be you know healed for instance but but to a large extent people who are wealthy are so self-sufficient in of, thems- in of themselves that it is much easier for them to deny God than otherwise. Okay, not universally, but it's easier for that to happen. So this is why he's saying, "I don't want to be rich." Of course, this is King Solomon. He's like the wealthiest king that ever lived, right? He's saying, "I don't want to be." And actually, one of the reasons that he turned away from God was because of his wealth, because of all that he had been given. Right? It was a source of temptation for him, and he denied God for a time before he came back again. So, um. The, the, the thing to get here, the thing that to desire is say, you know what, it's it's good for us to say I don't want to be poor. like like it's, it's not like God is saying poverty is good, okay? But also riches is not good, right? There is a middle. There's a middle ground where we are content with what we have received from God and we, we neither have one extreme or the other. You cannot love both God and mammon, so both God and riches. No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and Mammon. Mammon is like a representation of like the god of money. Okay? So he's saying either you will love God or you will love money, you can't love both. Okay? Because because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So if your treasure is in money, your attachment will be to the money. What is going to drive your decisions, your actions, your your thoughts, it will be your desire, your money. Whereas if your if your if your god is the true god, then your decisions, your your motives, everything will be based on that you can't have both ways okay because sometimes that's what we try to do like i want to be a spiritual person i want to be a servant i want to do this but at the same time i love money again this is not the same thing as having money love money i love money i want to be rich i want to pursue wealth like to 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 a degree right just for the sake of having wealth not even just for to meet my needs right but just to be w- to be rich to have just th- the idea of collecting for myself so what are some signs okay of materialism i'm going to mention eight signs that can kind of maybe show us whether we are suffering from this materialism or not the first sign is a materialistic person is blind to the needs of others they are so focused on their own success or their own problems or their own desires to worry about or care about the needs of others, and they don't even realize how blessed they are compared to others. This is a big problem here in the West, right? Because we look around us and we see opulence, right? Even, even those who would be considered by our standards here as being not very wealthy, by the standard of the world, they are very wealthy, right? The th- kinds of things that we have, you know? The e- even, even just from the perspective of the technology that we have, you know? Like if you think like King Solomon, for instance, you know, he, he was the wealthiest, right? You didn't have air conditioning, you know. Like, 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 air conditioning is something like very luxurious. If you think about it, think about all the generations of people that lived. They didn't even have that. We take it for granted. Like, yeah, of course, there's air conditioning. Like, if you ever been to a place that didn't have air conditioning, it's like, what do you? How do you even live? You know. Like, so, so, the kinds of things that we have been accustomed to, the comforts that we have, we are so um, used to them. And maybe because of that, we 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 don't even realize that. There are many people in the world, they don't have air conditioning, they don't have clean water, they don't have food, they don't have like the things that we completely take for granted. Like we throw away more food than some people eat in a day, right? So like if we are blind to the needs of others, maybe this is a sign that we are materialistic and that we take for granted the blessings of God. Instead of thanking God for them, right, for the things that we have, maybe we focus on being upset and grumbling about the things we have yet to receive, Number two, insatiable desire for more. John D. Rockefeller, who some say, you know, if you account for inflation, he was the wealthiest man who ever lived. Um, he said, how much is enough? More than I presently have. Right, he, he continually wanted more for the sake of having more. Collecting money becomes a game, right? Becomes a game. It's like getting points in a video game, right? The more that I have, the more successful I consider myself, and the better I feel about myself, and you know he was he was known to not be uh, treating his employees very well, right? Uh, he he because his goal was to maximize his own profit, right? And we see that in many corporations where they want to maximize their own profit, they don't necessarily pay very well um, their employees and so on. It's an insatiable desire for more. If you look at like <laughs> um, like public companies um, that have to report every quarter of their earnings. And you see like, let's say that they are projected to earn more than a certain amount. Okay, it's more than last quarter. So the company's growing. So then it comes time to actually report their earnings and they end up getting less than what was expected. It's still more than the last time. It's still more than last quarter. But it's less than what was expected. What happens to the stock price of this company? It drops. So they earn more money than they had last time. Like the company is positive growth. But why did the stock price go down? Oh no, we expected you to even do any, even better, right? It's, it's just growth for the sake of growth. In fact, that's how people make money in the stock market, right? You have to have perpetual growth without, n- without limit in order to keep making more and more and more money for the stockholders, right? When you really think about it, it's, it's, a, it's an unsustainable system, really, that we run on. It's an unsustainable system. There has to be a limit to what can be attained, right? And that's why there are corrections and crashes, right, that happen. It's just we don't like to think about those things. We like to think, oh, it's just going to keep growing forever, and then at some point there's a crash, and everyone's really sad, um, and then it starts growing up again, okay? So insatiable desire for more, the illusion that there can always be more, Not being able to let go of wealth, okay? Maybe the perfect example of this is the rich young ruler because everything that we have said today about this topic was presented to the rich young ruler directly, explicitly to him, okay? When this man came to the Lord Jesus Christ and he told him, what can I do to obtain eternal life? He said to him, "Um, you still lack one thing. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But when he heard this, he became very sorrowful for he was rich. So here, God is placing it as explicit as it, can be, as it can be said. He said, if you want to go to heaven, sell what you have. That's what he said. He said it to him explicitly. Again, this doesn't mean that this specific command is for all of us to sell all that we have. This was because the Lord knew that this man was attached to his wealth, and, and that though his wealth was the thing keeping him from entering heaven, because of his love and desire for it. And you can see his love for it in this moment. Like he actually like exposes the, his love of money in this very moment. He told him, you can have heaven, just give up your money. Well, you know what's going to happen when this man dies? He's going to give up his money anyway. He's going to give it up either way. So it's either you're going to give it up and get nothing, or you're going to give it up and get eternity. Which do you want, right? But because of the way our minds operate, On the very short term, we're like, but I don't want to give up my comforts, right? Even if those comforts are very temporary, even if those comforts are going to last just for a few years, I don't want to give them up, right? Even if I earn eternity, it's hard for us, right? It's hard for us. This is why tithing is very important because even though God is not asking us to give 100% of what we have, he's saying, give something, like train yourself, train yourself that there's something more valuable than money. Right? Train yourself. Actually, a hundred percent of our money comes from God. He he allows us to have it. And he says, I want you to use ninety percent of it. I want you to use nine. The ten percent, it's like I'm not really giving it to you. I'm just I'm just giving it to you so you can distribute it. Right? It's not yours, it doesn't belong to you. And and through tithing, we learn how to be detached, to give. It's supposed to hurt a little bit, right? Like if the amount that we give doesn't hurt a little bit, then we're probably not giving enough. It has to hurt, okay? Hurt doesn't mean it's, it's, it's like gonna throw us into like, um, you know, like a financial crisis. Hurt means we have to realize that we are fighting against our nature, right? Our nature is to hoard. Our nature is greed. Our nature is to collect and to keep, right? Whereas, whereas here, he's saying, no, give. Give of yourself. Give of what you have received, yes. well if you have ten billion dollars then you're giving away a billion dollars right that would be ten percent but like if you earn if you have earned over the course of your life ten billion dollars then you've given a billion dollars this is not a small amount so like if if you were to like ask someone let's say who's never tithed and you're like okay you know what you need to pay the tithe of what you should have paid and you didn't Say, okay, I calculated it out to be a billion dollars, and I'm going to write a check for a billion dollars. That's painful, right? Like it's not easy to give a billion dollars away when that's 10% of your own For many people, right? Maybe not for everyone. But I understand your question, but here's what I want to say is I don't want to use the word whether it's sin or not sin because it's really going to depend on the attitude of the person. I'll go back to the example of if you look at what we in our society consider to be normal, like having air conditioning, like having grocery stores, and being able to buy food whenever we want, and throwing away leftovers that we're not going to eat, um, food that maybe went bad because we didn't really eat it and it just stayed in the refrigerator and then it went bad and we threw it away, like having water, you know, like readily available to drink, the things that we have and we take for granted, if you were to compare that with like a fifth world country, Right? Then, if we use the idea of sin being living outside of our means, well, we can make the argument that we are all living, we are all living like a life of luxury compared to certain people, right? So, this is why I hesitate to try to label what would be considered out of bounds. Because for some people, maybe the attitude of like, I already have 10 cars, why do I need an 11th car, right? Yeah, I can easily say, yeah, that seems like it's, you know, just ostentatious and unnecessary, okay? But the idea of buying a second house, for some people, it's like, why do you need a second house? Isn't one house enough? There are some people don't even have one house. Okay, well, there are many people that have multiple houses, right? Would we consider that to be? So what standard do we use to determine what is beyond? And that's why I don't want labeled it i don't want to say yeah this is good and this is not good because it's going to definitely depend on each person their financial situation what they feel comfortable with when god gave us the command to tithe he said you tithe 10 percent. the 90 percent is yours but there are some people who choose to tithe more than 10 percent, right because maybe they feel like no like god has blessed me so much that i want to give more or maybe they as a spiritual practice they're like you know what because I want to keep myself from being attached to things I'm going to choose not to buy the 11th car. So it's not a sin to buy it, but it could be a spiritual practice to keep myself from buying it. Just like for instance, in the fast, we're like, okay, I want to limit the amount of food that I eat is eating more a sin. It's not a sin, right? It's not a sin, but in, in order for me to benefit from the fast, then maybe I can limit the amount of food that I can eat. So it's a choice. So, th- And that choice is a very individual choice, right, on what each person chooses to do and maybe with the guidance of their father or confession. So that's why I, I don't want to put artificial lines and boundaries and say this is okay and this is not okay. But I would consider that to be under the category of tithe in the sense that however much tithe I choose to pay, even if I wanna pay 50% tithe, because I wanna give. Whatever you have left, manage it as you like because it's, that's the part you chose to keep. The, there's a part you chose to give and there's a part you chose to keep. If you want to give more, give. and I mean, that's, that's perfectly good. And actually, that would, I would, that's better. Right? Like the more we give, obviously, the better. The more we choose to give with a good heart, it's better. Right? But there is a part that we choose to keep. And the part that we choose to keep, how we spend it, and what standard we apply to what is reasonable, what is unreasonable, it's very hard for anyone. Like if you were to compare, you know, a typical, you know, middle class American, what they would consider to be luxurious, but then you take someone who's in the top 1%, you know, They would look at what this person thinks is luxurious as being meager right so the standard by which we determine what is too much there is no one standard i I can't define that standard it's really going to depend on where that person came from you know like father Arsenius, he's the monk okay Um, he went to the monastery he used to live in a palace okay so when he came to apply ascetic principles and join the monastery he was sleeping on a very simple bed in the monastery but the other monks would complain against him because they were sleeping on the floor and they were like why is father arsenio sleeping on the bed like he's very luxurious right and so then the abbot came and he said no actually he was used to sleeping on the the bed of kings the fact that he would stoop down to sleep on such a simple bed for him that is a big sacrifice and that is detachment right whereas for them from the monk's perspective they were like no this is luxurious for you why are you doing that so we can't easily define a specific standard, and that's just what I want to emphasize. Yeah. Then Gabe and then Maria. We will be judged according to our heart. So, like for instance, if with the ninety percent we are cruel, if with the ninety percent we are wasteful, if with the ninety percent we, you know, like we know to do good and we choose not to, then then yes, right. But does that mean that you can't buy an eleventh car? I can't say. You know. Yeah, that j- example if you buy the 11th car. Yes. O- or if if you are buying the 11th car and then you are cheap skating your employees and you know, and not paying them fair wages and not being considerate to them when they need to take time off, like cruelty, you know? kind of like the rich man and Lazarus, like that man, he, he had the means to help Lazarus and he chose not to. So, but that but that says nothing about whether that man could have bought certain high quality things in and of itself, it, it's in comparison to, it's in comparison to what he didn't do, yeah. Sorry, I think we're out of time, this is good for now. Uh, <laughs> um, okay, any other comments or questions? Just to just for the sake of completion, just I'll change. Constantly comparing with others is number four. Showing off, number five. How we treat the poor, number six. Um, exploiting others to maintain our wealth, um, and willingness to disobey God to obtain more. Those are the other signs um, that maybe someone is um, materialistic. Okay, we can pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. We thank you, O Lord, for this day. We ask for your blessing in everything. We ask, O God, that you would be um, reminding us of all the blessings that you give us and help us to be thankful and content with what we have been given. We ask, O Lord, that we be good stewards of the wealth that you have offered us and to protect us from materialism through the prayers of St. Mary, Archangel Michael, St. Paul, St. Mark, and all your saints. Hear us as we pray. Thankfully, our Father who art in heaven, If there's interest, we can maybe cover the rest of this next time, God willing.